0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a pleasure to uh, be with you uh, in Christ Our Hope Church, to uh, be part of giving Pastor Daniel a little bit of a break and to fill in and and minister God's word uh, to you. My passage this morning will be familiar uh, to many, if not all of you. It is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the journey of the Magi to Christ, Just a note about the context, uh, we kind of treat this with the nativity passages. It's not, strictly speaking, a nativity passage. Um, The Lord Jesus Christ would have been one to two years old by the time the Magi reached him. Um, He's not in a manger anymore. He's in a house, the text tells us. He's not a baby, the text tells us. He's a child. And it also fits in with um, Herod's later attempt to exterminate all the boys in, in that region who are under two years old. So somewhere in there uh, our Savior is. And uh, I don't know if we have anyone here today who is 18 months old, but imagine that. You know, so these, these strange men from the east come and bring you lavish presents. Uh, what, a, what a talk of the town that must have been at that small town when they came. So let's hear then God's word from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. where the Christ was to be born. So they said of him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "'Go and search carefully for the young child. "'And when you have found him, bring back word to me "'that I may come and worship him also.' "'When they heard the king, they departed, "'and behold, the star which they had seen in the east "'went before before them till it came and stood over "'where the young child was. "'When they saw the star, they rejoiced "'with exceedingly great joy.' And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely, divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. Let us pray. Father, may you be pleased now to speak to us by your Spirit through your infallible Word. Uh, let us uh, see your glory in this passage, and let us see ourselves as well, for our knowledge of you is related to our knowledge of ourselves. And may we repent, may we repent as needed, and may we uh, grow in faith and grace as needed as well. Help me to speak clearly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The heart of our passage is the manifestation of the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd king. Let's keep that in mind as we go through our passage. What a wonderful combination of attributes, is it not? The Lord Jesus is king. He is ruler. He he is the mighty one. And at the same time, he is the gentle shepherd who seeks, saves, and Care for, cares for, and feeds his flock. What a wonderful combination. He is the king who is our shepherd. And our sermon will be in two parts. First, I'd like you to see two ways that this passage leads us to the shepherd king, two ways that our God leads us to the shepherd king. And then, I want to examine three human responses to the shepherd king that we see in our passage. And be so bold as to ask you, which one describes you in our text this morning? So first of all then, two ways in which uh, the passage in which our God leads us to the shepherd king. And the first way in which God leads us to the shepherd king is through his creation see the wonderful account of this mysterious star whatever it is god created it and appointed it and used it and leads these magi these gentiles by the way to the shepherd king Uh, verse one it says that these wise men or these magi from the east perhaps i think baghdad perhaps uh, uh, perhaps uh, that far away from from, from the east uh, had come to Jerusalem. Um, they had seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And verse nine, uh, when they heard the king after their meeting with, with Herod, behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them. So do we see then that God is appointing and using his creation? to lead these magi, these Gentiles, to his shepherd king. As believers, I hope we're accustomed to to, to realizing that creation is there to lead us to our God. Um, We we see this often. Genesis chapter 1, I was just reading that with my wife the other day. Uh, In the beginning, God created, and it was all very good. And and the psalmists pick up on that. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. And in Psalm 8, David, the the shepherd himself, muses on this and says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And here then, amazingly, and and really this is the beginning of the New Testament. Here, the Gentiles, the outcasts, the, the unwashed, if you will, according to the Jews, are being led from afar to the shepherd king. The New King James translates uh, this as wise men. Uh, I believe the old King James called them kings. Um, Magi is what the ESV says. But but there was was a a well-known cast, if you will, uh, of wise men who who tended to be stargazers uh, as far away as Babylon. Uh, We read about them in the book of Daniel. Uh, what does Nebuchadnezzar do when he has a troubling dream that he doesn't understand? He calls for the Magi. Of course, the Magi let him down, don't they? Uh, they can't interpret the dream. But Daniel does. Well, not so much Daniel as God uh, interprets the dream and lets him know what, what the future holds. But, but here is this cast of wise men. And, uh, you know, the Roman church has given them names even, which is sort of silly, Um, we've kind of concluded that there were three wise men, or magi, I guess, because there were three gifts that they gave. But I don't see any reason to say there were three. Um, There may have been an entourage of magi, Um, which which kind of makes sense to me, because it wasn't that safe to travel hundreds of miles in those days, and there is safety in numbers. So there may have been a whole entourage of, of magi. And can you, children, imagine uh, traveling on camels for hundreds of miles through the wilderness and through the dangers and through the bad weather, maybe, to seek this star and to seek this king? What an amazing episode this is. Of course, um, some modern commentators want to say this was a myth or this was a legend or this couldn't have happened. Why not? That all goes back to to a defective view of God. Um, God the Almighty is perfectly capable of of reaching out to these wise men, these magi, and leading them. Um, I wish I could give you a complete and exhaustive explanation of this star astronomically. I will say right up front, I can't do that. Uh, I've read the commentaries on it. Um, I, I do think it's correct to say That in modern times, we kind of make a separation between astronomy and astrology. And I I think that's right to do that. Astronomy is a science. Astrology is something Christians are supposed to stay away from. However, in those days, they probably weren't so neatly separated. Um, These magi were kind of astronomer astrologers. Um, where did they get the idea that there might be even a star for the king of the Jews? Well, God, of course, revealed that to them. But I wonder if they might not have been familiar with Numbers 24-17. Remember, in the East, there were at this time still communities of Jews with their Old Testament scriptures. In Babylon and other places that we'd now call Iraq, uh, oh, yes, they were there. And uh, these these Magi would have been interested in them because of their hist- because of the past history with Daniel. Uh, maybe they heard, maybe they'd heard of Balaam's prophecy. Um twenty-four seventeen of Numbers. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now that's a messianic prophecy if there ever was one. Uh, and, and notice how the Messiah here is not associated with a star. He's called a star, uh, a great king uh, who will rise up and, uh, and rule over his people. Perhaps these magi were, fam- were familiar with that. Um, so the star that these, that these men saw, uh, it might have been a miraculously created star at that time. God's capable of doing that. It might have been a star that had been from the original creation that God uh, caused to shine more brightly and move uh, in, in a mysterious way. Uh, that could have been the case. John Calvin thought this was a comet. Uh, that's possible, I suppose. Modern, some modern commentators say it was an exploding supernova. I'm not exactly sure what a supernova is, but it, it, that sounds amazing uh, that a star could have exploded and perhaps, I don't know, But I do believe what the scripture tells us, that God had created and appointed this star and led these Gentiles to his shepherd king. And that's one of the lessons here, that God is revealing himself now to the Gentiles, to these unlikely people, to these outcasts, and bringing them to know him. And I think this also, just to remind us, brothers and sisters, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And it's all there to point us to our God. In modern times, of course, the world, in its arrogance, says, okay, you Christians have your Bible, but we have the science. Okay, you have your Bible, a nice story of moral examples and myths, probably, and things like that. That's what the world says. But, but we, of course, we understand the science. We will not accept that dichotomy. First of all, we believe that the Bible is more than myths and stories. It's, it's, it's an inerrant revelation of God. But we have the creation. We are the creatures of God. We know what the purpose of creation is. It's to point us to our God. So don't surrender that ground. Don't say the non-believers get the science, and we just get you know the little book here. Oh, no, no, no. We have a great book. We also have the great second book, which is the creation, which leads us to our God. And we should think that way. From the smallest cell, the smallest plant, the smallest bug or bird, to the great star-filled skies, and everything in between, it's the creation of our God, and it's point us to worship him. Well, as you might expect, the se- that's the first way that God led these, these magi and leads us to our shepherd king. The second way is, of course, through his word itself. The rumor begins to uh, noise about as these magi come uh, into Israel, into the, into the Holy Land. Uh, and Herod says, now where is the Christ to be born? Uh, he's, he's troubled by this, of course, because Herod doesn't want any potential rival to his throne. And he calls in, first of all, the, the, the chief priests and the scribes, who would have been the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and He says, Where is the Christ to be born? And they know the answer. Uh, the Christ is to be born, as we see in verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And he is quoting from the 8th century prophet Micah. And we see here as Matthew is very interested in always telling us when scripture is fulfilled. Uh, Scripture is not uh, by chance throwing darts at a dartboard. Scripture is God's mind being unfolded. And from the beginning he has told us in some detail about this Messiah. And he has told us where the shepherd king in the fullness of time will be born, and that is in Bethlehem. So here we see the the reliability, uh, the infallibility of our scriptures. I know this is a time of year when uh, people are kind of thinking, God's people are kind of thinking about maybe what their reading plan will be in the scriptures in the year to come. Uh, and I, th- I, I think it's a good idea for God's people. I don't think you have any excuse not to, to spend some time reading the scriptures every day. Uh, why wouldn't you? Um, and <clears throat> there are all kinds of plans out there. Someone showed me an app where you can generate your own Bible reading program for the year ahead. How about that? Uh, well, it doesn't matter what you do. But I want to take the opportunity to say this. As you're reading the scriptures in the year to come, just remember that it all leads to Christ. It all points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we're not reading it correctly if somehow we don't end up there. Whether it's the law, whether it's the prophets, whether it's the poetry, whether it's the gospels, whether it's the epistles, whether it's the book of Revelation, it's all pointing us to our Lord Jesus Christ. And in a wonderful sense, to our, to our triune God. So here we see the fulfillment of this prophecy Matthew's very interested in this. He begins in, in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David has come, the long-expected king. And, and, and a, a place that God prophesied the city of David, and yet, in a sense, an out-of-the-way place. So God is revealing himself to surprising people and in surprising places. What I mean is that Christ was not born in Jerusalem. He was not born in Rome. He was not born in Babylon, what would have been thought of as the name cities in those days. He's born in Bethlehem. Doesn't God still work that way? He reveals himself in surprising ways to surprising people, in surprising places. Why, even in this place, God works in a wonderful way. So, in, in this year to come, I hope it's the desire of your heart to know the shepherd king better with our heads and with our affections. And if that's true, then remember these two ways that God has given us to lead us there. Sometimes people will say, oh, I just wish God would reveal himself to me. Then I'd know him better. He has revealed himself in his vast creation and in his infallible word, and it's all there to lead us. To his Shepherd King, may you seek Him. Now let's notice how people respond to the sh- the Shepherd King, and let's compare ourselves and try to see ourselves in this. Before I look at specific responses, I just want you to note, first of all, the general response to the coming, the birth of this Shepherd King. In verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why would he be troubled? Because here is a rival king, potentially, and Herod wanted no part of that. Uh, I've been reading a, what I think is a fascinating book by a, by the Jewish historian Josephus called The Jewish War. And uh, he's talking about this, this, he talks about this time of history, and he has a lot to say about Herod. And... Uh, what Josephus says about Herod fits exactly with what we see here in, in Matthew. Because later on, Ma- uh, Herod will, will seek to, to exterminate all the boys in Israel who are under two years old. That's exactly, says Joseph, Josephus, what Herod would have done. Uh, because he was uh, zealous for power and authority and would brook no rivals. So think of this. If, if, if the prophecy had been and if the message had been Oh, a great teacher has been born, or a great moral example, or a great shepherd, uh, a great spiritual guide had been born. No one would have been, too, uh, been out of shape about that. The ancient world, like our world, had all kinds of teachers, had all kinds of spiritual gurus, had all kinds of um, <clears throat> moral examples, if you will. That wasn't particularly offensive to anyone. There are lots of gods. Let live and let live was kind of the message there. Ah, but this was a king. This was a ruler. This was someone to whom the proper response would be to bow down and devote your life to. And Herod did not like that in the same way that so he was troubled because of that. And I think Jerusalem was troubled probably because Herod was troubled. What's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? It's not a good thing when the king gets upset. And so all Jerusalem is abuzz and troubled by this arrival of the king. So let's, let's just look in, in a few minutes, let's look at these three responses to the coming of the shepherd king. First, There's the way that these priests and scribes responded to him. And these priests and scribes, I would describe them as troubled, but basically apathetic. Who are these um, chief priests and scribes? Well, they're the Sadducees and the Pharisees. uh, Two groups of men who didn't get along with each other, didn't see each other at all, who didn't see eye to eye at all, barely on speaking terms. Uh, The Sadducees were more the liberals, if you will. Um, And the children, do you know why they were called Sadducees? This is the old explanation. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Chuckle at that, but it's helped me remember that for many years. The Pharisees were more the sticklers for the law of God, and they did not see eye to eye. And uh, so, so their response was, Herod summons them in and says, where is the Christ to be born? They knew the answer. Their hand went up first. We know he's to be born in Bethlehem. And they quoted the text from Micah chapter 5. Did it touch their hearts? Absolutely not. Did, Did they have any desire to find out who this king was? The Magi had come hundreds of miles these, scri- these scribes won't go a few miles to find out who this king is. They're too concerned probably about Herod's response. My friends, do you suppose there are people like that in the church today? And, and just, just examine this in your own heart. I'm not going to report you to your pastor. I don't, I'm not judging your heart. I don't know your heart. But is it possible you're one of those people, if if I ask you a Bible question, your hand goes right up. I know the answer, I know the answer. But your heart's not in it. Your heart is not engaged with Christ. You're not eager, like these men, to go and worship him and give him your heart. If that's true of you, then may God grant you repentance. May God grant you awakening. This happens so much in our Lord's ministry. What does John tell us? He came to his own, who should have known better, who knew their Bibles. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. What happens when he goes and opens the scriptures in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4? His people who knew those scriptures rejected him and wanted to kill him. There's no joy. There's no worship. Just some head knowledge on their part. Oh, well, my friends, may that not be true of us? And if it is, may God grant us repentance this very day. He doesn't want just our heads, He wants our hearts. Secondly, there's Herod's response. And Herod is troubled, like these men were. But of course, he, it, it, whatever you say about Herod, he wasn't apathetic. He wasn't apathetic to the coming of this king. He hated this king. He summons these magi in and he says, well, go and, go and find him and then let me know. And I want to go and worship him. Children, do you think that's what he really wanted to do? Do you think Herod really wanted? No, he was lying. He wanted to take a sword and find the king and kill him. Because he would brook no competition, no rivalry to his reign. My friends, that's what every sinner does with God. You may think, I hope you don't think Herod is some alien creature here, that we would never see anybody like him who actually hates the king. What does Paul tell us in Romans 8 about the natural mind, the carnal mind, the, the, the fleshly mind? It is hostile. No, my friends, this is ugly, but by our inborn Adamic nature, we hate God. We hate him. We don't want him ruling over us. Again, if the church went out and preached Jesus as a good example and a good spiritual guide and and a helpful teacher, people would say, whatever works for you, that's fine. No one would be offended by that. But our gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ is king. He is the risen king. And that, my friend, is offensive. That separates people. Remember when they were having the hearings over this Mississippi case at the Supreme Court about abortion? I saw um, protesters out in front of the Supreme Court, mostly women but some men. And the sign said things like, keep your hands off my body. Keep your laws off my body. Sinners say to God, keep your authority off my life. Jesus, if you want to be a teacher and an example, fine, spiritual guru, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But king, you want me to submit to you? No, I'm not doing that. That's what the sinner says to him apart from grace. My friend, could, could it be that even in this Blessed congregation, this morning there's someone and you look in your heart and you say, no, I, I basically hate him. I don't want him ruling over me. I'm here, but I don't want to bow down before this great king. My friend, we, we saw this in Isaiah. We saw this in Israel so consistently in the Old Testament that they, did, they, they disobeyed God. They didn't want to worship him in the way that he wanted to be worshipped, We see it in the New Testament again and again and again. People who should have known better, they did not want to bow down to him. And what great irony. The insiders, who should have known better, reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And the outsiders come and bow down and worship him. And that's our third response. And may this be true of us. Here are these magi who are led by this star, are led by God's grace to come, and they present their their costly um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But notice the wonderful description in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with joy, not simply with joy, with great joy. And, And that's not enough. Not great joy, but exceedingly great joy. I've been a Christian too long, and I I think I know what our scriptures say, that not every moment of the Christian life we're going to feel that way about our faith and about our God. I, I get that. But do you know what's being described here? Do you have seasons of that? Do you have moments of that? The gospel is just the most wonderful thing you've ever heard. Exceedingly great joy. And again, I say, pray to the Holy Spirit. God gives grace to those who seek him. Uh, He gives good gifts to his children. Pray for grace to see him and know him and love him and rejoice with exceedingly great joy. So I simply ask you this morning, where are you? What is your response to the shepherd king? There is nothing more important that you could wrestle with. And I pray that God will give us hearts, that we would be like those magi of old, who give him not only our costliest treasures, but our hearts. Maybe so, because God has given his son to us. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we fall so far short of, uh, of your glory and your grace, and we're in some ways not very grateful at all. Lord, may we see you more clearly. May we know you better. May we indeed rejoice with exceeding great joy. Lord, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us even for our moments where we may shake our fist at you. God, forgive us and help us indeed to humbly cast ourselves in faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.